Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello, dear listeners. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with the current leading experts, bringing evolutionary solutions to today's unique challenges. Remember, you're a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour will explore wildfires evolving through trial by fire. So far this year, there have been 8,834 fire incidences in California alone, costing in excess of 1.8 billion U.S. dollars and over 4 million acres burned. There have been numerous wildfires across California, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado. Many of the fires exploded and coalesced into record-breaking megafires, mobilizing tens of thousands of firefighters. Authorities report that climate change and poor forest management practices contributed to the severity of the wildfires. Be it global warming, hurricanes, flooding, or wildfires, many believe we've just begun to experience this level of devastation from climate change. What is it like to survive a wildfire? What can we learn from those that have? Can we use this situation to evolve our approach to climate change and the resulting upheaval in the future? How can we use these experiences to evolve as human beings? With us this hour to explore some of these questions is a gentleman who has experienced and survived such a fire. Robert Kerbeck is the founder of Malibu Writers Circle and three times nominee for the Pushcart Prize. He fought the 2018 Malibu fire with his wife and son to save their home. His book, Malibu Burning, the real story behind L.A.'s most devastating wildfire, won the 2020 Ippy Award as a Silver Medalist in Creative Nonfiction, the 2020 Reader's Favorite Award as Silver Medalist in Nonfiction Drama. Malibu Burning was a finalist for Forward Book of the Year and winner of the Best of L.A. Award. His essays and short stories have appeared in numerous magazines and literary journals. One of his stories was adapted to the award-winning film Reconnected. His website, robertkerbeck.com. Robert, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Well, thank you, Gwilda. What a nice introduction. I understand you were in the 2018 Woolsey Fire in California. Now California's having another fire crisis. How would you compare the Woolsey Fire with what's going on now? Well, um, as... uh, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, California is a huge state. Um, and so the fires um, that have been burning in 2020 have basically been in northern California. Um, the fire season starts a little bit later in southern California. It's basically just started now. Usually about November 1st is when um, we get dry and we have this phenomenon of these Santa Ana winds, these uh, incredibly strong hurricane force winds that come through. And if a fire starts during a Santa Ana, Santa Ana wind event, um, then those embers are blown by these hurricane force winds. And as you can imagine, uh, these embers can travel very, very far. And that's how these fires get 
uh, so huge and they, uh, you know, they, they become out of control very quickly. Um, so Southern California fire season is just starting right now. And of course, Northern California has had the most horrific fire season on record. This year. This year, correct. Yeah, yep. that's what I thought. So what's it like being in such an intense fire? Um, it's, not, it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, obviously, we um, had been prepared, you know, when you buy a home in a wildfire prone area, uh, some people call Malibu the wildfire capital of North America. I don't know if it still has that title because there have been so many horrific fires in Northern California, obviously, in the last few years. Uh, but certainly Malibu um, has had uh, many, many wildfires. So if you move here, you you have to know that and you have to be prepared. And when we moved in, we were fortunate. Um, a, a neighbor basically advised us to get a fire pump and get a certain amount of a fire equipment, which we did. And we tested it every year. And so when the 2018, uh, 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 the fire was the Woolsey fire came through and devastated so much of Malibu, we got out our fire pump and got out our fire hose and we had a chemical called Foscheck, which is the same uh, chemical that the firefighters use when they um, drop it from airplanes. Um, and we sprayed our house. We have an all wood Victorian home. If any home should have burned in the fire, it would have been our home. But the Foscheck um, saved our house. Uh, even though on our street alone, 17 of 19 homes burned to the ground. Oh, my goodness. Were, were you evacuated? Yes. Yeah, so what we did is um, when we got the report, I mean, we knew the fire was coming, but when we saw the fire on the horizon above us, um, as if the sun was rising for a second time that day, um, we uh, sprayed our house and then we evacuated basically sort of at the last second. I mean, you know, one of the things I've learned from having fought this wildfire and saved our home is, is that we were prepared in many ways, but in other ways we were not prepared. Um, and of course, um, it was the first time we fought a fire and it was a massive fire. So it, you know, I guess it wouldn't be uh, logical to assume you could be prepared for everything and we weren't. Um, and so I think that's the one thing we would have done is we would have um, sprayed our house sooner and one thing now that the fire department advises, you know, they have a whole uh, series of protocols for homeowners to evacuate and and they have a the protocol series is based on how much time you have. So if you have five minutes, this is what you grab. If you have one hour, this is what you grab. And they now say if you have an hour or two, one to two hours before wildfire hits, they, they recommend what they call gelling your house, which is what we did when we sprayed it with the FOSS check. And I think that's a really... Uh, a really important thing is that a lot of um, homeowners feel like they have two choices. You know, one is to evacuate and the other is to, you know, stay behind and fight the fire. And mm -hmm. there's now this third option, which I think is very viable. Gelling a home is, is relatively easy to do. It's basically like power washing your home. It takes only about 20 minutes. Um, and boy, you really give your home a fighting chance if you do that. I would think it also helps the firefighters having the people on the ground take care of part of it for them. Well, that, uh, that's a that's a fantastic um, uh, uh, note, and it's exactly correct. You're exactly right. What happens in these fires is if my house catches on fire, it's much more likely that my neighbor neighbor's house catches. If my house and my neighbor's house houses catch on fire, it's much more likely that the whole neighborhood burns. Mm -hmm. And so, anything that each homeowner, you know, it's it's one of these things. We talk about a shared responsibility living in a wildfire prone area. And of course, as you mentioned in the beginning of the program, there are now wildfire prone areas in Washington, Oregon, Colorado, California, more and more areas. And so anything I can do is going to help out my neighbor. How many evacuations were there? Uh, during the Woolsey fire, over 300,000 people were evacuated. Oh, my gosh. Where do they put them? <laughs> well, that's a great question. And one of the scariest things uh, was that, you know, um, any of your listeners that have been to Malibu, they've driven up the beautiful Pacific Coast Highway. And on the day of the fire, with so many people evacuated at the same time, the Pacific Coast Highway was gridlocked for six to eight hours. Oh my. And so people were stuck on the highway as, as they could see the flames coming down the hillside, getting closer and closer mm -hmm. to the highway. Oh, and, one of the, and one of the most scary things was 
these people that were trapped in their vehicles, you know, they were contemplating getting out of their vehicles and running into uh, running to the beach into the ocean um, because they were afraid that the car, they were going to get burned alive in their cars. And so that's something that the city of Malibu and the L.A. County leaders have really been trying to work on because that was that that horrific uh, calamity of people being trapped in their cars and burned alive was actually not that far from a possibility. Mm. And so they've come up now with a system where rather than evacuating 300,000 people at the same time, which is what they did, they now have evacuation zones. So they're going to start with the areas that are most immediately impacted with the evacuations and then spread out from there so that I'm hoping that the highway can handle that traffic flow a little bit better. Well, as a, as a husband and a father, you had to make some decisions. What decisions did you have to make? Uh, to listen to my wife. <laughs> because That's always good she, advice. Yeah. She, she, yeah, it's always good advice, but she was in charge. She really, um, you know, I've had firefighters say, man, your wife was one cool customer. Uh, she really was, um, you know, in charge. Uh, she was telling me what to do. I mean, we, you know, we had all practiced this, so we kind of knew what to do. Um, and she was just very calm, cool, and collected. She said what to do. I did it, and we we implemented it, and we were successful. You know, um, and that's what I said. I don't think gelling a home, even if you're, uh, you know, an older person, I think that uh, it's very doable. And one of the things I learned, you know, in Malibu, we called the Woolsey fire, we called it the yo-yo fire for you're on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, There were not firefighters. um, There were not uh, uh, sheriffs running around telling us to evacuate. Um, You were really on your own because when you get a massive wildfire, as you can imagine, the authorities are overwhelmed. And so the only ones you can count on are yourself and your neighbors. And that's why I really encourage people, get to know your neighbors um, talk to your neighbors. Um, and it doesn't obviously just have to be a wildfire. You know, we're having more and more, um, kind of, uh, weather related events and climate change related events, um, that are getting worse. Um, so whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a tornado, whether it's flooding, whether it's an earthquake or whether it's wildfire, knowing your neighbors and having a plan so that you can help each other is really critical because in most of these situations, you will not get outside help. It is one of it is time to come back as communities, isn't it? I mean, we've gotten all distant and stick our nose in our tablets or in our television and 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 don't t- make the effort. Um, and I think that's one thing that this is telling us is we really get need to get back to community and have each other's backs. Well, and that was one of the things that was uh, the most heartwarming thing. You know, sometimes people say, "Oh, well, you wrote a book about this terrible fire and and thousands of people lose their homes and people died." You know, I don't know that I want to read that. And and yet when people read my book, they come back to me and they say, boy, that was so heartwarming. That was so uplifting to see people coming together in these terrible moments. You know, a handful of men saved an entire neighborhood by themselves. You know, eighty year an 80-year-old couple with uh, buckets and garden hoses saved their homes, and, their home and neighbors' homes. Mm. Um, children were fighting the fire and saving homes. Um, and that's, that's the really amazing thing about the Woolsey fire as, as terrible as it was, the community that it brought together was just beautiful. Oh, but those bonds have lasted too, haven't they? Absolutely. I mean, my son, he's applying to colleges and he wrote his college essay and, and <laughs> after a lot of uh, a cajoling, he finally allowed me to read it. And that was what he was writing about, was the bond that he and his friends have developed as a result of the worst fire in L.A. history and, of course, now coronavirus. Yeah. Aren't we having fun with that one? Yeah. So, um, we're just about out of time in this segment, but starting now and then probably picking up on the other side, I'd like to ask you, what decisions would you have made differently if confronted with the same situation again? Well, you know, I think we would do exactly what we did. Uh, we would just do it a little sooner. Uh, we we would have sprayed our house a little bit sooner. Um, we have a little bit more equipment that we didn't have before. One thing that we have now is we have a generator um, because, as you can imagine, in a catastrophe like this, you lose all power pretty much immediately. Um, so, 
having a generator um, gives you the ability to do things that, you know, we weren't able to do because we no longer had power. Got it. Well, again, it is that magical moment. So we're going to need to pick up with this on the other side as to what you would have done differently and what you advise. But it is time for a commercial break. So Robert and I will return shortly. Don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution coming to you on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Did you know that the Exxon Broadcast Network has faithfully brought you the latest information and quality programming throughout the unprecedented upheavals of our times? Our continued broadcast is only made possible to the endless hard work and dedication of our executive producer, Rob McConnell, and his amazing team at the Exxon Broadcast Network. With us this hour discussing his experience surviving wildfire is Robert Kerbeck. His website, robertkerbeck.com. Robert, we were talking about what you would do differently. And the one thing you said was a gen- have a generation- generator on hand. What yeah, else would I, you? Well, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we're learning with these wildfires, and I, I spoke about it in the previous segment about this idea that you, you're on your own. You can't count on help because the authorities are overwhelmed. And, and that also ties into, I think, the major issue for individuals is um, preparedness and specifically um, what we call hardening your home. And one of the things that they're finding with these wildfires is it's not um, a giant, in general, it's not a giant wall of flames that burns your home down. It's one or two embers that somehow either get inside your house and burn your house from the inside out, or these embers land on something close to your house, catch that item on fire, which then burns down your house. Mm. And so this home hardening thing is really the critical issue for individuals and homeowners moving forward. Um, And so here are just some simple things that homeowners can do if they live in a wildfire area um, and there's a wildfire coming. I mean, the first thing is, is you just don't want to have anything that's flammable near your house, right? So the, a wood pile, um, uh, the wood mulching that a lot of times people put around plants uh, close to their homes. As you can imagine, wood mulch is wood, and it's going to burn in a fire. And I can't tell you how many people lost their homes because of the wood mulching around the rose bush next to their house caught on fire, and then that mulching caught something else on fire, and then the house burned down. Um, another thing that's really critical are ember-resistant vents, a very inexpensive item. And these vents prevent um, embers from getting inside your home. Um, You know, things like uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, firefighters told me that they saw lawn furniture, cushions on lawn furniture catch on fire, which then caught the deck that the furniture was on on fire. And then that burned down the house. So there are all these things that homeowners can do including not planting highly flammable uh, landscaping and trees. You know, here in Southern California, we have a lot of pine and eucalyptus trees uh, and even palm trees. And those three trees, the fire department considers to be highly hazardous. Um, They recommend that you don't plant them. Malibu, after the Woolsey fire, has now banned the planting of of any new palm trees because they're so flammable. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So did did this cause you to change your perspective as to your family's relative safety? Uh, that's a great question. Um, for me, I'm going to say no, because um, I feel like we've been through uh, pretty much as bad a fire as you can go through. Uh, we you know, came out of it um, and our house survived, and now we have more equipment than before. So I feel like we're pretty prepared. But I do know there are a lot of people um, that are questioning, um, especially, you know, we're hearing about all these fires and these fires are getting worse. And, 
you know, they're questioning whether uh, Malibu and a lot of communities are safe. And I think that's where the um, homeowner preparedness and there's a lot of legislation. I, I, I got a wonderful email the other day from um, one of our California state senators. He represents one of the largest districts in California, which um, includes much of Los Angeles and Ventura counties. Senator, uh, State Senator Henry Stern, and he basically told me he's got his book, my book, on his desk uh, um, in the Capitol in Sacramento, and he is showing other legislatures um, that this is what your communities, this is what your districts are going to go through because we're seeing more and more wildfires spreading into areas that were not historically known to burn. We're and, definitely uh, in times of change, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I just think more and more homeowners, you know, you just need to be aware. And like I said, many of these changes are simple, simple and inexpensive. And you really give your home a fighting chance and then give the firefighters a fighting chance. You know, if they if if it's not an overwhelming fire and you can and firefighters can make it to your neighborhood, um, if your neighborhood and your fellow neighbors have done some of these things I mentioned earlier, you got a great chance of, of, of not losing your home. And I can tell you right now, some people say, well, it's just stuff. And I can tell you it's not just stuff. I have so many neighbors that lost everything they owned. And when I say everything, everything, every stitch of clothing, your vehicles melt, everything you had. I had uh, you know, families that the, they had their Bible that was 300 years old that had their family's uh, genealogical history gone you know, um, items um, from great grandparents that fought in World War One gone, you know, all of those photos, all of the videos, everything is just gone. And rebuilding is a long, difficult and stressful process. And it's never the same. It's it's just rebuilt. <laughs> you know? right. So yeah. yeah, did your basic values change as a result of the fire you were in? I think so. You know, I, I think uh, I really, I really tried to you know, now if I'm driving down the street and I see someone who, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of, they didn't pull over, but they're sort of pulled over and I'll stop and I'll roll my window down. I'll say, are you okay? Everything okay? Um, because, you know, maybe somebody's having a, a health situation. You know, and of course, most times they're just on their phone. But I do that because I, I just want to be of service. Um, and that's the great thing as I mentioned in my book, is that so many of the chapters are about people being of service to their neighbors, many of whom were strangers. Um, like I said, people save neighborhoods by themselves. People save neighborhoods with garden hoses. Um, there were no firefighters, as I mentioned. Uh, the firefighters are just overwhelmed. There were, in most communities during the Woolsey Fire, there was no help from the fire department. Well, you know, it's, it seems to me like when we're struck with this, we have one of two ways we can go. We can either lock down, get freaked out, and get totally selfish and everybody for themselves, or we can pool together as a community. What do you think can, can make it move in the direction of pooling together versus that panic, everybody, every man for himself kind of thing? That's a great question. I think it's about outreach. And I think if you can take the time to reach out to one other person uh, to try to uh, simply even just check in. How, how are you right now? How are you doing? I was thinking about you. You know, um, I think that is um, a big step. Um, and I have really made an effort to um, get to know more and more people, people I didn't know in my neighborhood um, and um, people I didn't know in my community. Uh, people approach me now. Uh, all the time. I get um, emails, texts, direct messages, um, even the occasional handwritten letter um, from people that I don't know. Um, as a matter of fact, Martin Sheen, the, the, the well-known actor and activist, Martin Sheen sent me two handwritten letters. Um, and people um, are kind and they say nice things about the book, but then they almost always have questions. They almost always have questions. And one of the biggest questions they want to know is, what have we learned? Mm-hmm. And right. what can we do to not have such a terrible event happen again? And you know, I, I understand you and your wife and your son were virtually on the front lines fighting to save your home. Did you, in the process, doubt the wisdom of that choice? Uh, I think in retrospect, absolutely. In the moment, there just wasn't time. I mean, the, the fire 
was came over the horizon and I would say, I, I mean, I can't even tell you how quickly it was on us um, because t you just lose all sense of time. But I can tell you it seemed almost instantaneous. It literally seemed as if, you know, uh, to use a Star Trek analogy, that the fire transported from the horizon to our backyard instantaneously. It was that fast. Um, and of course, that's a result of those uh, hurricane force Santa Ana winds that are blowing those embers um, so that, yeah, it's up there one second and then that ember is just hurtling uh, and then it's in your in your yard. So well, I, I, I know that I, yeah, I, I know that they can be so unpredictable. The wildfires. I mean, I'm up in a wildfire area in Colorado, surrounded by a bunch of pines. It's been been drought up here. It's a high desert. So the pines are like kiln dried, but they're alive. And it, you know, it can build a, a wind its own. The fire can build its own wind, and you never know which direction it's going. How how were you able to keep an eye on that enough to know? Oh, yeah, time to go. <laughs> enough goo on the house. We need to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, that again, it, it was my wife. She uh, basically, at a certain point, uh, when we felt like we had we had gotten enough fast check on the house and the and everything around the house. Uh, she said, we got to go, we got to go. And literally we ran and we got in our car. And as we did, um, literally a fire NATO came right through, um, uh, and, you know, and I, I saw it. Uh, so, the, you know, that those we weather patterns that are created by these um, massive fires um, are serious and are completely unpredictable. And that's why, again, the one thing I wish we had done was that we had sprayed our house sooner uh, and then we could have evacuated. So we would have done everything we needed to do and been gone before the fire was really on us. Not been in that level, at that level of risk. Um, how many homes were lost? So we lost, and again, this is always a, a difficult calculation. Um, we lost um, a couple of thousand homes. As you can imagine, a lot of times when a property burns, there are multiple structures on the home. And the, you know, the um, city and county authorities, they only count uh, permitted structures. So, okay. mm -hmm. you know, so let's say you put up, a, you know, a, a, you had a tool shed or, you know, you had a yoga studio or you had a, um, you know, whatever you had, uh, you know, you had pulled a little trailer down on your property. Those things aren't counted. But as you can imagine, in most communities, you know, a lot of people have different structures on their homes. And um, sometimes, you know, maybe they're renting it out to a college kid. And, and that was the thing that happened in Malibu is we lost um, a lot of those, too. And um, so I would say the, the exact number is really not countable, but for sure it was thousands. Oh, my gosh. So what you know, we're getting close to our next break. But what have the rebuilding efforts been like over the last two years? Slow. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, and that's what I think your listeners need to be aware of if they live in any area that is, you know, potentially prone or susceptible to wildfires. It is a long, difficult process. Um, here we are. Next week is the two year anniversary of the Woolsey fire. And I would say the number of homes rebuilt is less than 10 Oh, my goodness. And that's in yep. two years. In two years. Now, there are many homes that the framing, pro, you know, they've been framed um, so that they are they're on the way. And I, I'm going to say that by the three year anniversary, many homes will have been rebuilt. And so I think three years is what you can expect. And that's in a good result. There are mm. many of my neighbors who are living in trailers on their property. There is nothing going on. They didn't have enough insurance, which unfortunately is a is a very sad and common refrain. And for those homeowners, it could be five years, it could be seven years, and it's and in many cases, I think a lot of those homeowners are not going to be able to afford to rebuild. Well, you know the plus the the draw on all the resources, the construction, the the, the pieces, parts to put it together must be horrendous. Yes, absolutely. And if you don't have a facility with that, um, that it just makes it that much harder. Mm. What uh, past fire and threat of, um, with a past fire and threat of more, have there any precautions been made in the rebuilding process that weren't originally built in? Well, I mean, you know, one, this isn't a good thing, but, but, it's, but it is a result. Uh, the homes that burned, for the most part, were older homes. 
they were built in the, you know, uh, in some cases in the 50s, certainly 60s, 70s and 80s. You know, one thing many of your listeners might not know is people hear Malibu and they think everybody in Malibu is rich. And um, I'm here to tell you that's not the case uh, in Malibu. Again, we have that Pacific Coast Highway and the Pacific Coast Highway acts sort of as a marker. If you're on the ocean side of the Pacific Coast Highway, then yes, most likely you're very, very uh, well we're gonna off. Have, we're going to have to pick up with that on the other side of a commercial break. Robert and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Again, this is Mission Evolution, mission evolu- missionevolution.org. To all of our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the opportunities for evolution hidden in the challenges we're facing? This in from our audience regarding the episode entitled Evolving Through Trauma, Shock, and the Climate Crisis. RK shares, at this point, I quite frankly want this to be over so we can get back to normal already. Thanks, R.K. I'm sure you're not the only one feeling that way, but nonetheless, here we are. We might as well use the experience to become better people and build a better normal moving forward. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Evolving Through Trauma, Shock, and the Climate Crisis, and let us know what you think. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. Our guest this hour is Robert Kerbeck. We're speaking about surviving and evolving through a wildfire. His website, robertkerbeck.com. Robert, we were talking about how there's a misconception that everybody in Malibu is rich, but there's a lot of people under a lot of hardship as a result of this fire that didn't start out real rich, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I said we, that kind of Pacific Coast Highway is the demarcation line, so to speak. And the people that live on the land side of the PCH up into the hills of Malibu, many of those people um, have had their homes for a long time. Uh, they're retired firefighters, retired sheriffs, retired teachers. And they bought those homes back when no one wanted to live in Malibu um, before the invention of the Internet and cell phones. It was just too far from uh, work areas. And so Malibu, believe it or not, was cheap. And so a lot of people bought homes out here in the 70s, 80s, even early 90s. And unfortunately for a lot of those homeowners, when the Woolsey Fire came through, they uh, were underinsured. Um, They hadn't upped their insurance. And that's something I, I would advise Uh, Any homeowner, regardless of whether you live in a disaster, uh, you know, an area that is uh, prone to natural disasters, uh, is to regularly check your insurance. I know many of the people that lost their homes wish they had done that. Um, They they unfortunately didn't. And so um, a large percentage of these older individuals in Malibu who are not rich or famous um, are really going to struggle to rebuild because they just don't have enough money. During these times when everything is so unprecedented, it's a good idea to up your insurance anyway, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's never a bad idea. Uh, again, you know, my, as you're getting, your listeners are getting the message, my wife is the together one in our family. And uh, she, every year when that bill would come in, she would look at it, she would do a little research, and she would raise our limits just to be safe. And, and I'm so glad she did, even though our home didn't burn down. If it had, we would have been able to rebuild. Yeah, that's great. Um, Being in a fire of that magnitude must have been very traumatic. How did the experience impact your family long term? Uh, That's a great question. I think we're we're still figuring it out. You know, I think we're still figuring it out. I know now when I smell smoke, um, you know, I I basically have like a PTSD thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I hear a siren. I go, oh, my God, is there a fire? Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and mm-hmm. I know a lot of Malibuites um, are on edge, especially this time of year. This is our, our fire season. Um, the worst fires we've had in Malibu generally have taken place in November, December, even early January. Um, so we're really on edge right now. And we've had a couple of small fires that the fire department has gotten out very quickly. Uh, we've been fortunate. 
Um, but yeah, we're we're all we're all suffering. And you know, even today, almost two years after the fire, if you run into locals and you start a conversation, it's guaranteed that the fire or something related to the fire comes up. Mm-hmm. Did did you, as a family, process the experience? And if so, how how did you, what tools did you use? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think we we spoke a lot about it, and I remember talking to my son about, you know, do you do you think you know, we, we made the right decision sticking around as long as we did to, to spray our home. And, and, uh, and he said that, you know, kind of when we were doing it, he, he didn't think it was a good idea. Um, and he thought we should have left. Um, but once we did it and we saved our home and then he had a number of friends who lost their homes and he saw how difficult it was on them, um, a lot of them had to move to different school districts because obviously their home in Malibu burned. They had to find a rental home. So many homes in Malibu were gone. There were no rental homes. Uh, remember, we talked about so many people that were renting structures on people's properties. All those structures were gone. So there were so many people that were displaced that had to move to different areas. And so then they switched schools. So a lot of um, you know kids you know, as a result of the fire, not only did they lose their home, but they lost all their friends because they had to go to a different school. And when he would hear these stories of his friends that were impacted uh, by that, he recognized that uh, taking the time to spray our house with a FOSS check, you know, was 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 a great thing and, and the right thing to do because, you know, uh, he, he he didn't have to, to go through that stuff that his friends had. Well, you know, you, you wrote a as you well know, you wrote a book as a result of the experience and your son, you know, his uh, article to get into school. Did you find that helpful for your process? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I interviewed 200 people, um, uh, over 200 people to write the book, and I could have interviewed 2,000 people. I mean, there were so many amazing stories of heroism, of bravery, of sadness, of, of, of um, success, of failure, and um, you know, and and again, doing all these interviews, I met all these people, and even though I knew, I knew many, many people in my town, I'm fairly outgoing. I met so many more people, uh, and it really brought the community together. Um, and I think you know, it, it brought our family together too, because you know, if you you know, if you fight a wildfire and save your home, that's that's something that we're we're never going to forget that we did that together. And I couldn't have done it on my own. Even you know, I mean, having my son's a teenage boy. I mean, having a strong young teenage boy was really critical. I mean, he was pulling these hoses all over the place. When hoses are filled with water, they're very heavy. Um, so it really was a team effort. And so that's something that we'll always have. Do you think that having fought and won uh, really helps with the PTSD? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about that because I know um, I, I don't I mean, I, look, I, I don't really take pleasure in the fact that we saved our house. I mean, I'm glad we did, obviously. But, you know, I also have some of my closest friends in the world who lost their homes. And so I, I have experienced their pain. You know, I've heard the stories of people that cannot rebuild. They don't have the money. They were underinsured. Um, I've heard the stories of people that, um, you know, have lived here their entire lives and now they have to move to a different community. Um, You know, I know again, I know the stories of the kids that lost all their friends because they had to start over in another area that I know uh, kids, some of my son's friends that moved out of state. Um, It's shattering. It's yeah, it's, it's just shattering. It just take, takes the heart out of a community in a way. It, we're, fa- we're all facing a lot of unprecedented traumas at this time. What can you share from your experience to help m- people move through them, whether they're fire or flood or whatever, COVID? <laughs> you know, I go back to I have friends now that I would not have had if it was not if it were not for the Woolsey fire. Um, I have met people. We hang out all the time. One guy we we go bike riding now all the time together. And I would not have had that friendship uh, that came as a result of the fire. He read my book and he um, contacted me and he said, hey, you know, I want to know about this FOSS check and I want to know how uh, I apply it. Can you show me? And so he came over and I took him through it and I showed him how to do it. And so then he bought the stuff. So now he has it at, at, at his house. And I've done that for many, many neighbors. They come over. I set the stuff up. I show them how it works. It's really not that hard. Um, 
And out of that now, I, I think I, we've, I've developed a lot of friends and we've also developed a more resilient community. Because like I said, if I stop my home from burning and you stop your home from burning, it means our neighborhood has a much better chance of not catching on fire. I love that word resilience because, again, there's two choices in, in a situation like this. is One, curl up and stay in fear. Two, become resilient and, and take positive action. It sounds like you've done that and you're helping others around you to do that. How would you suggest other people uh, approach with that resilience, whatever they're facing? Well, you know, just a, a brief segue. You know, one of the things about Malibu, and again, uh, there are a lot of misconceptions about Malibu, right? One, everyone's rich and famous. And another one, uh, people don't realize that there's a real frontier element to Malibu. You know, Malibu, um, for a long time, one family owned Malibu. And so it was kept very, very wild and rural for a long, long time. It was really not until after the Second World War that you that anyone even could buy property in Malibu. So that's still relatively recent, right? I mean, that's what, 80 years. Um, and so there's still a, a real frontier element to Malibu. And that's why a lot of people, when we get these wildfires, a lot of old time Malibuites stay behind uh, and they fight the fire. And there are many people. There was a woman who's in my book, uh, Millie Decker, uh, who you know died at the age, I think she was 92. Um, and she had never left for a fire her, her entire life. Um, and so there is a real resilience um, to um, Malibuites. And I think that they understand um, that you got to pull together uh, in, in these moments and that, you know, we're stronger together than we are uh, separate. And I, and I think that's I mean, if I had to pick one thing that I've learned from this is that, man, I can't do it on my own. You know, um, like I said, I could not have saved my house on my own. I needed my, my wife and my son. Right. We were a great team. And I think same thing with the neighborhood, same thing with the community. If, if you can have more people on your team, you can achieve so much more. And I think that is a really good lesson for what we're dealing with with COVID as well. I mean, you know, people are up in arms that they have to wear a mask. Oh, really? You know, can't we just pull together and get on top of this thing? It's, you know, and, and there, you know, so this seems like there's these two four two uh, courts. One that let's pull together. Let's have that pioneer spirit. Let's kick this thing because the authorities can't do it for us. Our behavior is what's going to do it, whether we're in a fire or, or in a pandemic. What do you see makes that difference? Who can light that spark? What one person can make a difference to rally other people to, to come on as a team? You know, I, I just think that you 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 got to look at yourself. You, you know, you can't um, you can't focus on too many other uh, people because, you know, at the end of the day, I can only control my behavior. So what I try to do is, you know, uh, you know, do the best I can to be the best I can and, 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 uh, teach my son that. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that, um, you know, you know, if we have enough people kind of leading by example, um, mo I think most times people, um, people then, uh, will, um, kind of, you know, want to emulate that behavior or want to be part of that, um, and that's something, again, I found here in the community. So many people have reached out to me about, well, hey, you know, how do I get that FOSCheck stuff? And, you know, and uh, there's a, a service. I think the best thing that came out of the fire in terms of the city of Malibu is they um, hired a fire safety officer who's a retired um, battalion chief firefighter. And he'll come out to your home for free and he walks around your home and he basically tells you the stuff around your home that isn't wildfire safe, right? And um, I recently had him come out to my home. You know, I thought, boy, we've got every, we've done everything right, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we've made changes since the fire. We had a, a, a wood deck, which we replaced uh, with uh, fire-resistant materials. We got rid of the wood and we, and we have um, fire-resistant um, decking material now. And he came out and, you know, I was expecting him to, you know, pat me on the back and, uh, I had this one wisteria plant running alongside my garage and uh, he was not a fan of it. <laughs> to be quite <laughs> frank, he said, and he was showing me how the uh, plant, cause it was, you know, pretty well established how it was catching, you know, when winds blow, leaves blow, debris blows. And there was all this dried, dead 
leaves and debris that the plant had kind of caught. And the plant was literally on the, my garage. And he was saying, look, if, it, if one ember in a fire lands in this with all these dead leaves in here and that catches on fire, you have a fire right next to your garage now. And if your garage catches on fire, well, then you're going to lose your garage and then your garage is next to your house. And then maybe you're going to lose your house. So uh, needless to say, the wisteria plant has been removed. <laughs> Poor wisteria. He's a, he's a thing of the past. Yeah, well, well it's time, look. Yes, I, it's, time for, it's time for another commercial break. <laughs> Robert and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or guest that you think will be of interest, email us, info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Robert Kerbeck, his website, robertkerbeck.com. Robert, earlier on, you mentioned that um, you had um, interviewed so many people. Uh, what was your what was your favorite story of the people that you interviewed about the fire? Um, you know, I, I'll share a celebrity story. You know, um, the book is focused on kind of the regular folk of Malibu. Um, but I, I just love this story because, you know, sometimes we think of celebrities as somehow different from us or. I don't know, maybe that they don't have the same problems we have or they have a bad attitude. And um, and this story is so heartwarming. Um, the actor Kevin Dillon, who um, was the star of the HBO series Entourage and um, also was in movies like The Doors and Platoon. And he's the younger brother of the very famous actor Matt Dillon. Kevin lives uh, not too far from me um, in a neighborhood called Bonsall. And when the fire came through, he and his next door neighbor, um, the fire was taking out a lot of homes. And um, remember what I told you, if you can kind of stop your home, then maybe your neighbor's homes from burning, you can kind of draw a line in the sand. And that's exactly what Kevin and his next door neighbor did. They basically fought the fire. They stopped the fire from getting to their homes, which saved all the homes below theirs. Not one home below where they started fighting the fire caught fire. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And... And he was trying to save a home across the street, which was the home of the actor Nick Nolte. And um, there's this really um, scary footage of Kevin Dillon, who's, you know, a well-known professional actor. Uh, I mean, if anybody cannot afford to get burned in a wildfire, it's a professional actor who makes their living, you know, based on their looks. And Kevin is fighting this raging inferno on Nick Nolte's property, trying to save Nick Nolte's house. Um, and to make the story even uh, uh, kind of crazier, Nick Nolte was on location doing a movie with Kevin's brother, Matt. Oh, my. And Matt was calling Kevin saying, get the hell out of there. And he had no idea his brother was trying to save Nick Nolte's house. Amazing. Un- unfortunately, Kevin wasn't able to save Nick Nolte's house and it burned to the ground. But um, below Kevin and his neighbor's house, not one home burned. And if Kevin and his neighbor hadn't stayed and, and, and they hadn't fought the fire, you know, they would have lost 10, 15. I don't know how many homes below them would have burned. Oh, goodness. You know, one of the more shocking stories is about the ignition point of the fire. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think when I wrote Malibu Burning, that was probably the most shocking um, part of the story for me was, you know, here we have the worst wildfire in LA history. And as if that's not bad enough, it starts on the site of a secret nuclear meltdown. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, and that's something even now, a lot of people don't know. Um, The fire started as a result of Southern California Edison's equipment failing on this site called Santa Susana, which is in the Simi Valley. It's a 3,000-acre site, which was used in the 40s, 50s, 60s for rocket testing, 
um, and also um, for these nuclear power plants which were built there. And unfortunately, they had a number of accidents, including a partial meltdown, um, which the public was never informed of. Um, how, um, how did you find this out? You know, some of it was uh, available. It was just uh, because it was hidden from the public. It happened in 1959, and it wasn't until about 20 years later that a bunch of UCLA students found papers related, and then it kind of came out. But because it had been buried for so long, and of course that's why they buried it, it didn't have the impact that you know if if, if residents had had heard learned of this in 1959, uh, I think we probably would have you know it might have even been cleaned up sooner. But because it was buried for so long, um, and no pun intended, the waste is buried too. The radioactive materials are still there in the ground, um, and those radioactive materials, cesium, strontium, they don't go away in our lifetimes or in you know many, <laughs> many, 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 many generations. Um, so um, the Santa Susana site had all of these um, um, radioactive materials. Um, the site is abandoned. Um, and when the electrical equipment from SCE failed, um, basically, it lit up this brush that had grown up on this 3,000 acre site. Of course, this brush has absorbed a lot of the radioactive materials. And then with the Santa Ana winds, the burned brush is now launched into the atmosphere and is dispersed for miles and miles and miles. Is there proof of this? Uh, yes. Have been able yep. to register it? Yep. And, and uh, I wrote an article um, after the book, you know, after I wrote Malibu Burning, I had a lot of... Um, uh, you know, magazines and, 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 you know, media reaching out to me and asking me to write some more things. And so I wrote a piece for Los Angeles magazine about that very issue about, you know, the, the question was, could radioactive material have gone all the way to the beach in Malibu and the 25 miles away? And the answer is yes. Oh dear. Well, they do go test for radioactivity and find that it had. Yes. Yeah. And I think what we're going to find is, um, as time goes on, I'm, I'm really hoping I'm wrong on this, but I'm afraid we're going to find some odd cancer clusters that pop up in communities. And it's going to make no sense why this community has these three rare cases of whatever cancer uh, with and you unfortunately, most often it affects children. Um, and that's how that's one of the things that has happened with the original site, uh, the Santa Santa, the Santa Susana site in Simi Valley. Um, a lot of um, kids started getting these rare cancers and the parents got together and they began to realize it was related to their proximity to the Santa Susana site. Well, now with the Woolsey fire, those radioactive materials, which were somewhat contained on that site, have now been dispersed into greater Los Angeles. Oh, goodness gracious. Are they taking steps to monitor that? They were so the site. And I mean, you know, this, the, this part of the story is really uh, frustrating and depressing because the site was supposed to have been cleaned up already. Um, there had been an agreement in place to clean the site. The site is owned by Boeing now. And um, the you know, uh, sh stakeholders had gotten together. There was a plan. And then the plan was not implemented um, and feet were dragged. And then we had the Woolsey fire. So here we could have had a site that had been cleaned up and then the fire would have been bad because it was a fire, but it would not have had this issue of now radioactive materials. And it's like to add insult to injury. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What could have prevented the Woolsey fire from doing the damage it did to the community? Well, I mean, the first thing that we're seeing is uh, we're seeing far too many wildfires started as a result of the failure of the utility providers uh, equipment. So the campfire, which decimated the town of Paradise, which occurred at the same time as the Woolsey fire, was started by um, PG&E, that's the utility provider in Northern California. Uh, it was a, their equipment failed and that started the fire. Here mm. in Southern California, SCE's equipment failed and started the Woolsey fire. And we have seen this over and over the failure of our utility providers' equipment starts these massive blazes, which, of course, kill people, uh, uh, kill firefighters, injure firefighters, um, you know, injure, injure people, destroy homes, cost billions and billions of dollars 
the Woolsey fire, the cost estimate is currently $6 billion for that one fire. Oh, my goodness. So and, I, you know, a lot of our utilities are, you know, are aging, you know, correct. particularly in, in, in high populous areas. Is there any effort being made to, to clean that up a little bit? Well, there is. I mean, it's slow. And there is. I mean, one of the things that happened with the campfire in Paradise was that PG&E was charged with manslaughter. Um, um, and even though they were charged, the individuals at the company weren't charged, the company was charged. But I think that soon that's going to be the next step um, that um, the these firms, uh, um, these quasi um, uh public uh, companies are going to, or they're going to have to get their house in order, or they're going to get taken over, or individuals that are uh, running these companies and not running them properly and not maintaining their equipment, um, you know, they're going to be charged, I think, uh, individually for crimes, because we just can't have people uh, dying and people losing their homes because the, you know, they're not checking. Negligence, exactly. Exactly. So we've talked about how, you know, there's the man-made issue of how the fires start. But from your research, how much did climate change play in the Woolsey fire? You know, you know that, that, that's a question probably more for a climate scientist, which I'm not. But I will say, you know, somebody was saying to me, you know, I do a lot of um, – you know, I did a, obviously a ton of events around the book. And, and of course, now most of those events are, are Zoom calls or podcasts. Um, and I had someone recently say, well, you know, the, the temperature, the, 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 the temperature of the planet has only gone up by a degree or so. <laughs> and I said, a degree? That's a lot. You know, like people, yeah. don't see, people don't seem to understand that it doesn't take a lot of warming to cause uh, major changes on our planet. And I think it is crystal clear um, by the fact that these fires are getting worse and worse. 2018, we had the Woolsey fire and the Camp fire at the exact same time. They were the worst two fires in California history. And 2020 is worse than 2018. 2017 was a horrific wildfire season. So we've had three of the four worst wildfire seasons in California history in the last four years. And we're seeing that globally. Uh, everything Correct. is changing. And, you know, the way we used to do things doesn't work because everything's changing. Right. And, we, and of course, we've seen these massive blazes in Australia, which are uh, oh, yeah. just. And a lot of more man, man started, I believe. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, we do have this phenomenon in California, especially in northern California, where we get these lightning strikes. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we get that a, up here. Right. And a number of the fires that started recently were lightning strikes. Um, and boy, that's a tough one because it's like, how do you stop that? Right. <laughs> but, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, all we can do in life is we control what we can control. We certainly can require and make sure that the utility providers are doing a far better job of maintaining their equipment. So the idea of the utility providers starting a major fire, we want to put that in the rearview mirror. So that's the past. We don't want to have that happening anymore. Um, you know, lightning strikes. You know, that that's another kind of complicated issue. But certainly we can do a far better job with the utility providers who have started some of the worst fires in history. Mm. Well, we have a little while left in closing. What would you like to share with Mission Evolution's worldwide audience that can can help us in the future with this? Well, thank you for having me and thank you for that question. You know, I just go back to. You know, you know, reach out to somebody, reach out to someone you haven't spoken to in a while, reach out to a neighbor you don't know um, and just try to be of service to them. We're all going through such a such a tough time, such a chaotic time. Um, You know, I think about my son, you know, I mean, he, you know, he's in the house with us all day long. He's doing online learning. I mean, it's such a challenge for young people. Um, and, and, you know, and it's a challenge for older people, too, that like my mother, I have an 81 year old mother who obviously you know, she's got to be very careful with coronavirus because she's especially susceptible. She has underlying health conditions. So she's in the house all the time. So it's just such a hard time for our planet. Uh, I reach out to somebody and and see what they need. You know, can you shop for them? Can you, you know, uh, you drop off something for them? Um, or can you just spend, you know, a half an hour, hour of your time chatting with them? I think that that would be a really wonderful thing. Well, Robert, uh, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time together. But thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Oh, it's my pleasure, and um, thank you. And if anyone ever has any questions about anything related to wildfire, they can email me via my website, and I'm happy to, uh, to help in any way I can. Thank you so much. Our guest this hour has been Robert Kerbeck, a three-time nominee for Pushcart Prize. He fought the 2018 Malibu fire with his wife and son to save their home. His website, robertkerbeck.com. I love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and suggest any topics or guests you'd find of interest. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time when we'll be speaking with Thomas Moore about the power of soul during times of upheaval. And so the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.